I am a perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for the next part of my journey through the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible. We have come to chapter 16 of Revelation and the seven bowls of wrath which are the final judgments of God. Some portions of God's word can be exciting and can fill one with joy and hope. But this chapter is not one of them. While I prepared for this podcast, reading these verses gave me a deep sinking feeling in my heart of dread and anxiety. This is the end in chapter 16. The final wrath of God filled up and poured out on the ungodly earth. The Bible is filled with hope, but it is also a book full of judgment. Jesus Christ preached often about judgment. He spoke more about hell than any other preacher or prophet before him. Many Christians today would insist that the Old Testament was written by a God of judgment, and the New Testament was written by a God of grace, but this could not be further from the truth. Many of the most fiery judgments of the New Testament come right from the lips of Jesus himself. Other writers like the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus Christ the Lord being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out punishment on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Peter talked about the coming judgment of God when the very elements will melt in the fire of God's judgments. And the writer of Hebrews warned that there will be no escape for those who reject the gospel when judgment comes. It is a fearful thing, says the writer, to fall into the hands of the living God. What happens in chapter 16 immediately precedes the return of Christ when he ascends from heaven to destroy the armies of the earth that are gathered in the place called Armageddon. Here Jesus will defeat them all, destroying the sinners, and will begin his 1,000-year reign on the earth, which is called the Millennial Kingdom. Revelation 16 starts immediately with the judgments. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people, who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. As with the trumpet judgments, these events have both literal and a symbolic significance. They do actually occur as described, and manifest themselves on earth, but they also have a hidden spiritual meaning. They reveal something deeper that otherwise might be concealed. The earth that the first bowl is poured out on, as we have already seen, represents Israel. So this will be a judgment that takes place within the land of Israel. This bowl of wrath is poured out on apostate Jews who followed the beast, who have been deceived by his lies and propaganda, and who accept him as their Messiah. The judgment comes in the form of sores, painful and ugly boils that break out all over the body. If you have ever experienced an outbreak of boils, those painful, inflamed, pus-filled swellings on the skin, then you have an inkling of an idea of the suffering that this judgment brings. These sores break out suddenly and without apparent cause. We see a foreshadow of this today. For instance, the great plague of AIDS came suddenly upon our world. No one knew of it before, it just suddenly appeared. These are forms of God's judgment which are sent to teach us to look at ourselves and what is happening around us in society. Harmful and painful sores signify a terrible inward corruption that create mental torment and ugly moods which result in the breakdown of life. Now we read about the second bowl of wrath in Revelation 16 verses 3. 
the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The sea, which we have seen before, represents the Gentile nations, especially those around the Mediterranean Sea within the old Roman Empire. The sea literally becomes blood red. We have already seen a foreshadow of this in the phenomena that scientists called red tide, which occasionally appears on our own coast of South Africa. This happens when algae in the water increases suddenly. These algae blooms produce powerful toxins that can kill fish, shellfish, mammals and birds, and people, and turn seawater blood red and toxic. The fish and the shellfish become deadly poisonous to eat. It might not occur in all the oceans of the earth, but I think it would make life impossible on the globe. This might just be referring to the Mediterranean Sea, but if an oil spill can create such terrible havoc, what will it be like when the whole of the Mediterranean becomes filled with this red tide? Revelation 16 verses 4 to 7 speaks of the third bowl of wrath. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just you are, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. This judgment falls on rivers and the fresh water springs, just as we saw under the trumpets. Rivers are polluted by the same apparent phenomena of the red tide which makes them impossible to drink from. Symbolically, it also speaks of the pollution of the fountains of wisdom and rational thinking in society. That is, the intellectuals, the politicians, the philosophers and the scientists. These are the individuals that people look for refreshment of ideas and leadership in philosophy. Their minds become possessed by wrong ideas and lying philosophies, specifically the idea that man is his own god and is quite capable of handling everything in his life. John hears an angel confirm that on God's part, this judgment is right and just. It is based on a principle we so often hear quoted today. You will reap what you sow. What we give out ourselves today will come back to us someday. In this case, these people had shed the blood of the prophets and of the saints of God. Therefore, God is justly giving them over to drink blood themselves. It signifies so much of what we see today. We suffer from the very things that we lust after and want so badly. Even the altar, which is a symbol of the place of surrogate sacrifice, where someone else dies in our place, affirms that this is just. The altar signifies redemption. So, if that substitute sacrifice is rejected, and the redemption that it accomplishes is not received, the altar says it is only just that one must suffer the consequences oneself. Revelation 16 verses 8 to 9 is perhaps the most disturbing part for me. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. For a brief time, it seems that the sun's heat is suddenly increased. Today, scientists are familiar with this phenomena. Every now and then, great flares of fire burst from the surface of the sun. They are called a solar flare or a solar storm. This causes havoc with the magnetic field of the earth, affecting satellites, 
global communication, and power grids. There apparently is increased activity from the sun, which creates intense heat upon the earth, which causes serious burns and skin damage. As the verse suggests, the inhabitants of the earth acknowledge that this is coming from God. No man can control the sun. The sun, that star that lights our solar system and warns our body, is far too intense for man to control or master. God does this, and men know this. Yet it still leaves men unrepentant. This speaks to me of the terrible, arrogant madness of unbelief, when someone refuses God's grace. They gradually lose the capacity to repent. Eventually they reach a state of hardness of heart which can no longer respond to what God is doing. It is too late to pray. The fifth bowl of wrath is described in Revelation 16 verses 10 to 11. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. These verses say that this judgment affects the throne of the beast, which is the revived Roman Empire or Western Europe. The verses describe a large area of earth that is covered with a sudden and unexplainable darkness. Again, it is not the first time a phenomena like this has occurred. There have been several times when unexplained darkness has covered a portion of the earth. On May the 19th, 1780, all the northeastern coast of North America was covered with such darkness. It was called the Dark Day, or amusingly, Black Friday, and George Washington himself remarked about it in his diary. No one until recently has been able to explain how it happened. It may be the same phenomena that occurred at the crucifixion of Jesus when darkness covered the land for three hours. It certainly was not caused by an eclipse of the sun. This is an unexplained darkness, symbolizing the removal of moral light, that is, light from God. Ephesians 4 verses 18 speaks of this. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So, although this verse speaks of a physical darkness, it also signifies thinking where all sense of truth and righteousness, even from God himself, is lost. This foreshadows that terrible outer darkness where Jesus says those who are unrepentant will find themselves for eternity. Revelation 16 verses 12 to 14 describes the sixth bowl of wrath. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits, performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Here, Armageddon is mentioned for the first time. This judgment falls on the Euphrates River, which was also mentioned under the sixth trumpet judgment in Revelation 9. It dries up the river to prepare a crossing for the kings of the east, that is, the armies of eastern nations such as India, China, Korea and so on. Today, China and India have become major world economic and military powers along with Korea. This is undoubtedly in preparation for the Day of Judgment, which will come at the close of the age. 
This signifies a time when east and west shall come together for the battle of Armageddon. There we are given insight into the way nations are manipulated by unseen forces. They are oblivious of the fact that they are being made to do certain things. How does this happen? Here emerge three evil spirits like frogs, which emerge from the satanic trinity, which is the great red dragon, the red beast and the false prophet, and by miracles they deceive the nations. These spirits trick them into launching the final world war. Perhaps it will be a terrible time when the nations of the world launch nuclear rockets against each other. This is a time when, as we saw in chapter 9, armies of 200 million gather on the plain of Armageddon to make war firstly with one another and then in a last desperate combat with the Lamb of God himself. There is a brief interruption in the judgments in verse 15. It is the voice of Jesus. He says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, so that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. As we have seen before in these series, there is always a pause between the sixth and the seventh of each series. In Revelation 7, we do not see the Lamb open the seventh seal. Instead, we come to a pause between the first six seals and the seventh and the final seal. During this interlude, in Revelation 7, we are taken back to the beginning of the judgments and see God's plan from a different vantage point. We see during this interlude the selection of the 144,000 Israelites who were given a special mission during the last days. There is another break between the sounding of the sixth and the seventh trumpet and this occupies chapter 10 and most of chapter 11 of Revelation. This interlude consists of two main events. Firstly, John sees a mighty angel and is instructed to symbolically eat a little scroll. Then at the beginning of chapter 11, John is instructed to measure parts of the temple and is given further end-time prophecies. However, between the pouring out of the sixth and the seventh bowl of God's wrath, there is only a break of one verse long. Verse 15. Here Jesus speaks, saying, Behold, I am coming like a thief. That reference to his coming like a thief should remind us all of Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 3. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, There is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon the pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The second part of verse 15 is a beatitude. This is one of seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation. It says, Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. A beatitude is a blessing or a benediction. This beatitude speaks of being ready. It is very similar to the story of the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Of the ten virgins, five were ready and five were not. Five had sufficient oil and five did not. But there is also imagery of a thief here. There is a thief coming and we had better be ready for the moment when he arrives. We should be dressed and not be found naked. When the shaking of judgment comes, we need to make sure that we are dressed. We should be prepared. We should be clothed with righteousness and not left naked and ashamed. It was the very same Apostle John who wrote in his first letter that if we abide in Christ, we would not experience shame. 
and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. This is David Wiles, your fellow traveler in Christ and this has been the Journey Through the Scriptures podcast, episode 48.